When we think of apocalypse, we think of Mad Max. We think of people fighting each other, people hating each other, despite the fact that there's so few of them left. But what if a family arose that led people to work together, to grow, and eventually to thrive? You're going to find out today on The Outer Twilight. Good day and welcome to the Outer Twilight Podcast, Episode 10, Tales from the Outer Twilight. At the Outer Twilight, there are no bad ideas, only ideas that need to pull up their socks and do some hard work. In today's episode, we exercise our creative minds to try to create a story from a prompt. Now, I'm Michael, and helping me today, as always, is my good friend, Andrew. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm good, man. Yeah, those ideas need to get a job. Is what they need. Yeah, no. Get a haircut. Yeah, exactly. Get a haircut. Get a real job. There's a song there somewhere. But, oh, uh, ten episodes. Ten episodes. Wow. I feel like we've hit a an insignificant milestone, but I'm happy that we're here. Hey, no. Ten episodes is ten episodes. We'll just keep going. So I think we should quit while we're ahead. Really, honestly, but. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, oh, let's not do that. Are we really ahead, though? <laughs> really? <laughs> well, <laughs> so both of us, I mean, we have huge heads, so we were born ahead. Yeah. Anyway. Fair enough. Okay, so like we said, today is our Tales from the Outer Twilight, and we are going to create a story. So we will go right to the servicescape.com, to the writing prompt generator, mm-hmm. and uh, roll the magic die to see... We're going to be doing science fiction. Are we going to be doing fantasy or are we going to be finally stuck with some romance? Uh And it's not romance. Oh, science fiction. Okay. So, so we have 30 different options under science fiction categories. And today, Ooh, dying earth. Oh, Interesting. So it's going to be a contemporary uh, story. (laughs) Well, it's kind of funny today because I watched uh, with a buddy, I watched an old, terrible, uh, depending who you talk to, it's either called the New Barbarians or Warriors of the Wasteland. And we watched the riff tracks for it, but it's this Italian produced post-apocalyptic adventure. Adventure question mark and, and yeah so I guess that's more of a dead earth as opposed to a dying earth but I'm ready to channel Roland Emmerich today yeah well, I think we were channeling a bit of Independence Day last uh yeah that's true actually last tales, wizards so. let's see what happens here so okay so here right in prompt number one soil erosion combined with a 10-year worldwide drought has caused devastating dust storms across the earth Billions of people have perished due to crop failure and civilization as we know it crumbles. As the owner of a greenhouse, you survived the initial impact, but now must live in a world where resources are few and humanity is on the verge of extinction. Mm. That's our first option. All right. Our second option. I feel like I should have like, you know, dramatic narrator voice with this, but <laughs> go uh, for it. Give it a shot. 
In a world, for an unexplained reason, Earth's orbit has changed and is now closer to the sun. Since the planet has become too hot to sustain life, a mass exodus of humans to another habitable planet has begun. You and your team of engineers must develop a fleet of spaceships before the Earth becomes a barren wasteland. Yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> that one, I, feel, I almost feel like that idea kind of skirts the topic. Because, I mean, the the whole idea of evacuating Earth, I mean, that's that's really what that prompt is saying, is that it's a reason to evacuate Earth, which really doesn't yeah, have... just abandoning Doesn't have... In, that, to my mind, that's almost like a different genre than dying Earth, because you're essentially trying to leave Earth. You're not really dealing with Earth dying. Well, well, yeah. Well, yeah, you're not dealing with it. You're, you're, you have the consequences of a dying Earth, mm-hmm. and our solution is leave well and <laughs> abandon it, it go somewhere else well and it, the whole like oh earth changed its orbit thing without it knowing why means that humans didn't directly uh cause well at least as far as we know humans didn't directly cause uh earth to be in this predicament so it kind of kills a lot of the dramatic potential as well i mean i suppose we could work that in as part of the story but um yeah well yeah, yeah i think then you go that direction, you're more getting into almost um, techno thriller type of stuff mm-hmm. where it's the, your engineers, you're developing the ship, there's conflict within it, there's problems. Yeah, maybe the timetable's speeding up, and but you got to get there. Well, you know, it's almost yeah. like a. And you could create drama out of who gets to go and who doesn't and all that kind of stuff. But I feel yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, I guess then you're. Oh, what was that? 2012? Mm-hmm. Then you're kind of. Deep Impact had that same idea too, right? That they put, you know, like greatest minds kind of thing got put into hiding under a mountain so that when everything, you know, after the asteroid hit, they'd be able to rebuild society, right? So they kept all the, you know, art and like smart people. And so I kind of feel like that route has been taken a few times because, yeah, you pointed out 2012, very similar idea. Um, I like the dust storm idea. I feel like there's a lot of potential there. Um, and I feel like there's a couple of narratives that I could mention and draw on there. So, well, I think so. I think that, uh, yeah, you're dealing with a small cast, um, Mm. you know, a bit of man versus nature, um, trying to survive and, uh, yeah, we can go from there. So, so we'll go with the first one. I think we're both kind of landing there. I think the first thing that comes to mind for me that we should do, because it's not mentioned in the writing prompt, at least specifically, so I I think we can change it. I would like to have more of a mobile situation. So it's a guy that has a greenhouse, but that it's something that he can move around. So something more like a trailer or something along that lines where it's got some... The problem you run into with in my mind, the problem you run into with a traditional greenhouse or a traditional space like that is the danger has to come to you. Right. Right. And if the planet is decimated and there's not really a lot going on, then how do you having something that's mobile mechanical also creates, you know, uh, if I think it would be cool to make it electrical. So, but having like solar panels that, breakdown there's potential for breakdowns in general so then that creates a bit of drama sometimes right or things like that um 
did, did the prompt, what did the prompt say about like how it caused how the, the sands, the soil erosion, right? Soil erosion combined with the 10 year worldwide drought. Ah, so is this, so is this caused devastating dust storms across the earth? It's the future of idiocracy where everybody, you know, watered their crops with Gatorade and it destroyed the soil. This is years later, you know, idiocracy too. Um, well, it's definitely a realistic, definitely a realistic scenario. So, what do you, what are your thoughts initially on how you would? Do? Well, yeah, I I agree on um, yeah the idea of having having to have conflict coming towards you, like you know beyond um, the dust storms, you know, and a dust storm, you know, if it's powerful enough, if you have a greenhouse, you know, the we're not dealing with bulletproof glass. You know, there's always going to be risk that comes from that. And then, and if we're dealing with big dust storms, you know, like that'll be, that would be a significant conflict. Um, other conflicts is access to water. So maybe, um, so that could be a thing where, you know, he has to keep moving to find water um, as, you know, with soil erosion, more drought. Um, like, I mean, we're in a bit of a similar situation to the Martian, I suppose, where, because the Martian had very... Well, that's where I was thinking in the back of my mind. Yeah, like where, you know, he's it's a guy marooned on Mars, there's windstorms are definitely a problem, making enough food to last until rescue comes. Um, although for him, there was always kind of a finite time frame that was always, you know, two to three years if he can make it work kind of thing. Um Although they end up escalating that. So we would have a character that it would have a more permanent situation, much more like an arc as well. Um, one that could be kind of a, a, a quest, I guess, if we were to include one, was that there is in, I'm trying to think of where it is in Scandinavia. Uh, Norway, the seed vault? Yes, the seed arc. Yeah, I think that would be a cool sort of destination, a place that he's trying to get to. Um, and then, you know, whether it's to meet up with people, maybe he's heard rumor that there are people there, but with his knowledge, it's the idea. I, I like the, the idea that it's a guy that's maybe smarter than the average bear. And while everybody is sort of trying to eke out a living, he actually has a plan. So, yeah. So like, I, I like the idea that like he has his family mm -hmm. and maybe the community that you know he was living in kind of thing and you know they had rallied around they'd worked together they'd had this thing that kind of survived um you know like i think of you know as society is collapsing and food is running out and people don't have food and like how did he keep it safe um because there's going to be people once they get hungry are going to make desperate decisions and stuff like that. You know, I've, I've watched enough post-apocalyptic or, you know, dystopian type of stuff to, and, and read that, you know, but like, I wonder if like, you know, maybe he had this oasis that was, you know, a, a central place. Like maybe he lived like up in the mountains or something like that. And so, um, but you know, the drought, there's no moisture anymore. And, but there wasn't, wasn't well known where he was, you know? And so then finally, you know, the story could be like, you know, showing that they're living, there's not much left of the world. And one of these roving bands of marauders kind of thing, you know, like almost a la Mad Max 
comes and they fight them off, but the greenhouse is destroyed. Mm. And so then he has to go and they have, you know, so they salvage what they can of the food and stuff like that. And then they're going, they're going on a quest and, um, you know, in, yeah. in that they, you know, maybe they come across somebody, uh, <laughs> I think like, you know, a la Kevin Costner, the postman or something like, you know, somebody wandering the waste type of thing that tells them of a place that, you know, there's rumors out there and they've been kind of cut off maybe. And that's how they've survived this long. Have a guy that is fairly knowledgeable of pre drought pre devastation. That's why he and his family are still alive is because he's basically managed to keep them alive. Um, but knows that with all the mass panic and everything that migration is not like, it's way too dangerous to migrate anywhere, but in the back and they had a good location. Yeah. And in, you know, say somewhere like in the Swiss Alps or somewhere where it would be higher altitude. Um, well, high-ish altitude, I guess we would be in it. We, we would still have the ozone layer, right? It's the soil that depleted. So yeah. technically, the higher you are, uh, the more moderate the temperatures would be as well, right? It, it would be a little colder during the winter, but more survivable as well. Um, and then having the back of his mind that if anything ever happens to us, we're going to go to this seed arc. And that's where... And, and the other logic being that it's also further north, and further north, maybe there may be better opportunities further north in terms of temperatures, but also in terms of like, um, you know, there's a lot more ecosystems like the ocean is close by. You have, you know, there's more opportunities environmentally, at least in his mind. Um, and then taking his family obviously provides a sense of uh, danger as they're going, right? Because you have kids. I always struggle though with using kids in stories just because, especially if it's stories that are post-apocalyptic because there's a catch 22. I don't know if you feel this way, but there's a catch 22 where I feel like either you're incredibly cruel and like kill one of them off, right? Like pulling off like a whole Oregon trail, right? (laughs) Your youngest child has died of dysentery, right? Which feels manipulative, (laughs) especially when you can control everything or Nothing happens to them over the course of the story. At least nothing grave happens to them over the course of the story. And then was there really any danger in the first place? Um, And I feel like movies have really kind of gone that way lately, that there's like a sense of danger. But they've been doing it for a while, though. I remember War of the Worlds uh, with the one with Tom Cruise, you know, which is a disaster, you know, annihilation type alien invasion movie. About three quarters of the way, I think it's three quarters, maybe it's halfway through the movie, his son dies. And it's tragic. And you're like, wow, that really sucks. And it puts a sense of gravitas on the movie. And sort of out of nowhere, they just kind of meet up at the same place at the end. And, oh, the son's alive. And it's like. Well, you know, yeah, he goes over the hill into what seems like a suicide mission to fight against the aliens. (laughs) And then. Ends up back home in Boston or whatever, well, whatever yeah. city it was that he was. But it felt like a ripoff because it felt like so the stakes were never real, you know. Like they're, they're at least for from the narrative perspective with those characters, everyone around them has lost children, everyone around them has lost relatives, but somehow that entire family is intact by the end of the film. And I, I think, you know, we need we would need to have a story where, um, 
there's real stakes, but it's well, hard to do that. With well, isn't that what the quiet place did? Isn't the one kid gets killed? Yes. At the beginning. And then it's like, the, I haven't seen it. Thanks for spoiling. I'm just kidding. I, I knew that. I haven't, I haven't seen it any either. I've just seen uh, <laughs> kind of like a, a review of certain parts of it. Yeah. No, no, you're right. Yeah. So, but, but uh, yeah. And, and it's tough because it, it creates, I really struggle with manipulating an audience that way. Um, I mean, I suppose an alternative motivation could be that the fellow knows that there's something wrong with him and puts himself on a timeline. Not that he knows, like, you know, nothing specific in terms of prognosis, but say, like, you know, he's either started coughing up blood or he's losing weight without really any explanation or something along that lines where, you know, he, he knows he's keeping them alive. He knows he's taught them a lot, but he also knows if he dies, there's a problem. Um. So that a race well, against okay, the so, clock. Okay, so then we have to ask the question, okay, what gets them to move? Yeah. Like, even as you say that, like, like I wonder, so like if he had a greenhouse and like this was his background and not necessarily, okay, like he's a, you know, a horticulture, horticulturalist mm. um, or, you know, uh, or disgraced, you know, scientist, that, but he just, he knows plants really, really well. He had the greenhouse type of thing. He was cautious by nature. Mm-hmm um didn't take risks and stuff like that and so he had this and then when things started going south and the drought was coming you know just kind of hunkered down friends and family nearby um but he knows enough that so either i guess i guess our inciting incident as far as the story mm-hmm. is it conflict where like do we want this to be man versus nature people or just man versus nature because if it's people then it could be like marauders come they destroy the greenhouse type of thing and they have no choice but then they have to leave and so he can't be cautious anymore right or if you want like the ticking time bomb type of thing he's seeing that each crop is getting worse and worse Mm. and you know and they can't fight off disease and there's disease coming in and he knows that we can stay here but we have maybe a year left of food and then we're going to have nothing. Yeah. And so he created this plan kind of in the back of his mind, seeing that things were going bad and they're going to have to leave. And he started doing research and, you know, in that research, he finds that, okay, the seed vault, but then, you know, maybe, you know, some Elon Musk type person had a, an underground farm system that they built by the seed vault or something like that Mm -hmm. and figures that's their only chance is to get there. And so then he starts, you know, preparing so then they can harvest everything and hopefully have enough food and probably water would be a difficult thing for traveling. And I I think a good, I think as I think about it, a way to approach it in my mind would be a guy that generally, you know, he's sort of, fighting the odds already you know when we start the story he's fully aware that crop failure is a distinct possibility he's found a place that's working really well and he's not trying to make poor decisions but the crop fails outright and if they don't go somewhere so it's sort of he's had in the back of the his mind this plan but he was sort of hoping it would come a little more gradually Whereas instead, you know, he has some stores of food, but really it's only enough 
like it's basically I didn't expect it to happen this fast. We've got enough to make this journey, but we would have to leave now, like in order to make it. We've got, you know, enough for three to four weeks of food, say, depending how long we're thinking it would take them to get there. And then along the way, having challenges of when they do meet people, having, I think, a good twist would be when we see post-apocalyptic movies, we often see like there's the war you know they've got their vehicles with spikes on it and guns and stuff like that i think that having and it doesn't mean we couldn't have an encounter like that but i think him staying away from them staying away from people on purpose so kind of keeping away from major cities and major places but realizing that people kind of don't actually have the strength or wherewithal to be able to because they don't have food they don't have the things they need to sustain them so they're seeing a population that's slowly dying and slowly starving and feel obligated to help when they run across somebody, you know, um, finding a person or two who are in desperate need and are saying, can we please come with you? And he's, you know, the kids and the, the, maybe even the mom are going, we have to help them. And having a central character who's, he's fueled by love, but his love is for his family and his family alone they have to survive their logic though is that what are we if we don't help the people we see if we don't help people along the way if we don't support them then why are we doing this you know um and having sort of a singularly minded father who wouldn't necessarily make good decisions you know um Maybe they do share some food, but in the night they leave. He like he they're sleeping in sort of a camper situation, and so he drives off, and they all wake up in the morning and they're like, "What's? Where are we? Where where are the you know where's so and so and so and so?" And he's like, "I I had to leave them. We have to, you know. I want you to be okay. I want you to be okay." And then dealing more with the interpersonal, it would create a much more personal and different post-apocalyptic story. Right. Or dead earth story. Right. Because is it every man for himself or is it, you know. Yeah. Or is it kind of almost it's it's past that point of every man for themselves because those like you could only survive on marauding for so long. Um, I think you're you're at the point where probably all the beasts of burden are dead because they've been eaten. Because there's yeah. no water for them either. No food. Yeah, they're for either them. eaten. They're either eaten or starved to death. Yeah. And um, there's not going to be any vehicles, at least gasoline-powered vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, so you maybe you could have, you know, somebody you know could have a solar-powered vehicle of some sort or or biofuel. Right. He's been growing sunflowers as part of his crop and knows how to make biofuel using lye and and you know essentially they're reusing everything right so they use oil for cooking and for uh because it's high in fat right and they need to help the kids you're not in a situation anymore where it's like don't eat things that are fatty because they're not good for you now it's like well we got to fatten you up for the winter because we don't exactly have you know so having biofuel which is biodiesel which is relatively easy to make especially if it's set in europe where diesel engines are pretty prevalent and so having a diesel powered vehicle i don't know 
I also don't know how much diesel fuel it would take to get to Norway from <laughs> yeah. wherever. Well, you also have in Europe, you have a lot more. And, you know, if we're deciding on Europe, there's a lot more like in present and like we're dealing in the future. But, uh, you know, you have a lot more uh, wind power. You have a lot more solar farms. There's a lot more access to those type of things. And so, you know, there would be plenty of opportunities to recharge whatever vehicle, whether it's you know, yeah. biofuel for diesel or whether it's electric. And well, and we wouldn't want to bog it. And- we wouldn't want to bog it down with like sort of hyper detail but at, like but at the same time it you know it would be appropriate at some point in the story to have a bit of a breakdown where they and i mean that could even be compa- you know the two people that are starving off are able to help them out they offer them food in exchange for fixing their vehicle the family wants to take them with and the dad says no so they so you actually put it in the position where these people have actually helped the family they have actually put themselves out there and you know um i don't know i i that almost would put him beyond redemption in certain respects in, in, in yeah that, that's my concern it's like you know it's like i guess then then you circle around okay what's the message that we're wanting to send like you know yes there's the part of that where you know he'll do whatever it takes to protect his family but then we we kind of get that with a lot of you know these survival type stories with, you know, this, this single minded father kind of thing. Um, would it be almost kind of too progressive where every time they come across somebody, like everyone they come across is almost at the verge and, but they offer whatever they can because that's just the type of people that are actually left and they just keep picking up more and more people. And it becomes less and less sustainable as they have more and more people and kind of the responsibility mounts because, you know, he's the one who knows of this place that they can go and everyone's putting their hope in him and he doesn't actually even know if it's real or not, or if there is anything there. Yeah, it's sort of a, it's, it's, it's more of a logical assumption as opposed to a known entity, right? Like you're not there's an idea that kind of comes to mind where it's, you know, the, uh, catch a fit, catch a man, a fish, he eats for a day, teach a man to fish. He eats for a lifetime. Right. And what would be in my mind, then a way to turn that would be to have him reluctantly at first, but, you know, have that we're greater than the sum of our parts where he realizes he's been taking on a lot of responsibility himself and his family has responsibilities, but, his kids aren't quite old enough to do some things. His wife isn't quite old enough to do, or isn't quite able to do some of the things for whatever reason, but sort of as they're going along, he's at first reluctant because they're not able to produce enough. But then as he starts teaching people, you know, so he teaches somebody how to maintain the batteries and everything and on their vehicle. And so that's the person that does that. And as they go, they start collecting parts. They start collecting things so he's taking things off of his plate, putting them on someone else. And as they're going, they're sort of slowly building a community that's mobile. Um, maybe even a cool twist would be that they get to the seed arc and it's there, but nobody else is. And by the time they arrive, they've actually got like a ready community. And he realizes he wouldn't have been able to do like almost like a 
uh, destiny type or prophecy to like, if they had gotten there on their own, it would have been a massively overwhelming job. Yeah. Cause like he could maybe, yeah, he starts like his whole, his whole goal all along was to save his family. And right. that's why they stayed where they were and they didn't interact with people. They avoided people. They could be very mistrustful, but, um, you know, and it, and it could be, this is where, okay, where you use the kids a little bit differently that the kids by their nature, um, even though they're, they've been trained over the years to be very suspicious. If they see people, they hide, they don't want to draw anyone back to where they were, but now that they're out there, you know, the kids curiosity, instead of it getting them killed, it starts to open him up to having to trust others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have a positive, you know, and there's going to be negative experiences too, but you know, they have positive experiences and that, yeah, like you said, and then people bring skills that he didn't have before, you know, and he can share his skills with others. Um, you know, and like you said, yeah, and they get there where like you could start out with guy's goal is to save his family. He ends up saving the human race. Right. Because everybody else, everybody else was kind of in that same mode that it was hide, you know, scared, protect themselves, but all the marauders are gone, all the, and now they just keep encountering different people who are just wanted to survive and they did it by isolating themselves. But it's that idea of that, but by coming together and working together, um, that, you know, the sum is greater than the, the parts and and then when he get there, you know, he can have that realization. Yeah, if we'd gotten here and it was just us, we would have had food. We could have survived, but nobody else would have. Then what? Yeah. And now we have here, and they start to, to dream about, okay, how can we go and get more people? And how can we start to rebuild, you know, civilization? Well, I, I really do like the idea of the conflict coming more from internal sort of ethical, you know, in this survival situation, what is the right thing to do, as opposed to kind of taking the typical post-apocalyptic view or dead earth view or dying earth view, where, you know, um, there's this sort of hopeless situation, the one who's the toughest, the one who is that, you know, the most ruthless is going to be who rises to the top. And then you have the anti-hero, very Mad Max, right? I mean, and that's really where we see most of post-apocalyptic stories going. So one where it's actually building towards hopefulness, um, where realizing that when we feel alone, when we feel desolate, right? I mean, maybe that's a little on the nose, but when we feel sort of personally desolate that it's when we rely on others, when we have vulnerability with others, that we thrive, that we find another way. Um, learning to trust again is, you know, is kind of would end up being the theme. And yeah, it's having that dystopian whole- Ted Lasso. <laughs> Actually, that's great. I mean, that's a perfect one sentence pitch, right? Is the yeah dystopian Ted Lasso. Uh, and not necessarily the dad, maybe have it be the mom who's, you know, uh, the the one that's kind of the more the voice of reason. The dad's the one with the know-how and stuff, but the mom is the one going, dude, seriously, we got to, if we don't do this, it's, you know, and he's, yeah, you know, well, skeptical. And I think there is, a, there would be a certain amount of power from that where, yeah, he's wanting, 
And he's wanted this whole time to just to hunker down, stay safe, stay safe, stay safe. And she's wanted to trust people. Right. And cause that's her nature. And that's, that's just who she is. Yeah. And she becomes kind of like the, the peacemaker, the intermediary between yeah. all these and, and, and giving people a trust and, and, you know, encouraging him to let a little bit of the weight off your shoulders, yeah. you know, trust these others, you know, and then you can have where, okay, like they're, they're out and about finally. And then, yeah, they can see a huge dust storm coming, you know, and so they have to hunker down and try to protect what they have and stuff like that. And that becomes more difficult when you're, you know, a caravan of, you know, 50, as opposed to, you know, a family of four kind of thing, where can you find, where can you protect what you have? Um, You know, you can have more, I guess, yeah, it can be more of an adventure type thing where, you know, at one point, yep, maybe they have to go into city, like cities would be completely empty. Mm. Um, But like, you know, imagine, um, like think, I'm thinking of, you know, you can do a version of like, um, in I am legend when, you know, in the city and then, you know, there's a pack of lions that were from the zoo that have survived off of scavenging, you know, or if they're, they're animals that might still, you know, maybe predators that have still survived because of scavenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're getting really, really hungry cause there's not a lot left. Mm-hmm. Although I think we're going far enough that maybe there might not be many actual animals left <laughs> with that. But, um, but even being in a city, if you've been in isolation for, you know, 10, 15 years um, and the cities are starting to crumble, but they need parts. Right. You know, they're whatever they need. They need to find parts to fix their mm-hmm. type stuff and they have to go in. You know, it can be a nasty place. It can be challenges from that. Well, little signs um, kind of having, along, little signs kind of along the way. That if we tried to do this, just us, it would have not gone very well. And I, I think that having, you know, it's really funny that the thing that kind of, remi- of all things, it reminds me of Wizard of Oz. And here's why. Because the Wizard of Oz, one of the big themes, even in the, like in the original book by L. Frank Baum, is that the, the, uh, the lion, the tin woodsman, and the scarecrow you know, Scarecrow wants a brain, Tin Woodsman wants a heart, the Cowardly Lion wants courage. The point of the story by this is by the time they get to Oz, they've already shown that each of them has those qualities, right? Mm-hmm. That, the you know, the Tin Woodsman fights off, you know, the flying monkeys and the Cowardly Lion goes to save Dorothy. So he has courage, you know, and the, it's the Scarecrow that comes up with the plan. So he's got brains and having a similar kind of idea there where there's, you know, we're looking for this at the, this end point, but the realization, not necessarily by them, but the realization by the reader or viewer, depending, I guess how it was, it was done would be that they actually been doing this all along. They've actually sort of stumbled upon these gifts that they needed, that they didn't know they needed. He's so fo- for like he's so focused on feeding his family. He hasn't thought about things like compassion and love and trust for a long time. And if we're going to have a world moving forward, we have to have those things. Yeah. Right. So yeah, and it was just a matter of 
being forced to have to go out there and then being forced to, you know, and it's like that idea of you being forced to go out of your comfort zone and then realizing that, yeah, it's hard, it's uncomfortable, it's scary, but you're so much better for it. Right. And that, and that we as humans were designed to be, um, you know, social creatures mm-hmm. type of thing. So like, it might not even been, it might've been like, you know, maybe even a small group, like maybe like, like I wonder like, cause like you could have that things were getting tense, even like in their relationship that, cause if it was just like, I keep thinking for, you know, there was just a small group, you know, for years and years, probably not going to be terribly fond of being <laughs> the same people all the time. Right. Type thing. So having new people, having different things. And well, I can think even of like, you know, in positive sense for him, like for the father to, you know, that he would find someone who's like, he would actually have a friend for the first time since he could remember someone that other than his wife and realizing how much his, he depends on her because he now has a new friend. And he's actually kind of relieved to have someone else to talk to because he's glad he's not putting pressure on her, you know, for her to feel as though she has someone she can talk to who understands where she's coming from, someone that she can nurture, someone that she can talk with. You know, I think that, yeah, showing the the vital aspect of that goes just beyond survival, Um and really, that's, I think, to me, is somewhat innovative, because when you look at almost every, even reality, like you look at Survivor, the, the, the show, right? Survivor has become about manipulating and turning the people that you're with in order to be the last one standing. Um, and so to kind of turn that on its ear, where survival, as it turns out, is not about being the last one standing, but about taking as many people with you into survival as you can. Yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, <laughs> the nice thing about stories is that you can write them however you want. <laughs> you don't have to. I mean, I think I would be curious as to whether people would find it refreshing or would dismiss it as unrealistic. Well, and, and I think that just like you need, you would need to be realistic about the threats. Yes. That are and, and the consequences and that it's not a, they're not living in a paradise world and we just want to find a more paradise world and everything goes according to plan. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think there would have to be consequence. There would have to be really dangerous things and, you know, they would have to lose people, you know, and, yeah. um, and, you know, and like, like I, I can imagine where they come across an encampment and find somebody who, if they had gotten there a little bit sooner may have survived kind of thing. Or, yeah. um, even, you know, in the dangerous city that, you know, not everybody makes it out. Um, or in the sandstorm, you know, that because it, it, it needs to be clear that staying status quo isn't an option. And, and like you said, and not just that where, Oh yeah. If we had just stayed with just our family, we wouldn't have, it would have been so much harder but if we had stayed with just our family, we would have died and, and it needs to be. So there, there, there needs to be that visceral hard edge to it, but through that you can still offer hope and you can still see hope, you know, and there could be somebody where they come across somebody who 
messes up their plans because they can't accept the fact that people are good. You know, they go along with good and then almost like self-sabotage, you know, because it's all going to fall apart and just can't believe that it's going to turn out okay and they can't handle it. So that you can show that contrast of um, to what you're trying to show where he's getting. So it could be like where he can see somebody that this is what I was. And, you know, and because of the relationship with his wife and trusting and learning to become more, he realized he avoided that. Um, and, but that could have easily been him. Well, and you could even, I, I could even see the idea that, you know, somebody steals like a portion of their rations or food supplies that they've got for everybody. Right. And it's kind of a big dent. They manage to make it through. They run into this person again later. And the person is now either trapped or stuck and needs saving. And they, you know, by that point in the journey, everybody is like, we understand why you did it. We understand how hard it is to believe in others. And so we're going to prove to you that it's worth believing in us. And rather than, you know, that vengeance desire that we have, even when we read those stories or watch those movies, that we overcome that with forgiveness, right? That it's like, you know, that, that empathy to say, we understand why you were scared. We understand why you took from us and we're not happy that you did it. But if you're willing to work with us, we're still willing to have you. And, you know, having a kind of a, a moment of sort of, well, I think in life, a lot of times, doing the action that is actually counterintuitive, you know, uh, against all odds, forgiving someone is often the best plan of action. Well, you know, and it's interesting that you bring that up because I'd been thinking for a bit here, like kind of picturing a scene where, you know, like, yeah, somebody was stealing extra food and, or spoiled a bunch of food or, or, and kind of that, that burden of leadership and saying, um, like the scene I was picturing was where it was saying that, you know, you know, you put everybody at risk by thinking of only yourself and we can't, we can't risk that, you know, we have to be together or not at all. And, you know, and exiling them, knowing that exiling them means their death kind of thing. Um, but you know, you could say those things where, you know, it's like, you know, you know, we should get rid of you. We should let you die. We should, you know, all these type of things. But, you know, if we do that, are we no better than what caused this in the first place in the world? Mm-hmm. And are we, are we no different and, you know, finding a better way, or maybe they make that decision initially. And that's why the person's got, yeah. Cause like I said, they exile them and then maybe a further encounter with somebody else makes them realize that, no, that wasn't the way to go. That wasn't, that the, wasn't right the right thing. thing. Um, and not because that person has a skill that they end up needing, you know, where it's like, you know, by necessity, but just, uh, no, that wasn't. And so then when they do encounter that person later, it's like they invite them back. Right. Um, um, okay. So super, super quick wrapping this up. So who's our, who, who stars in the movie? <laughs> who stars in the movie? Um, not Tom Hanks. No, he just did a 
very similar kind of. Well, I also feel like Tom Hanks would be better in more like a supporting role. I mean, he's getting a little old to play like a dad dad. There's two that would, I think, bring completely different things to the role in my mind. The first one is Brian Cranston. Um, I mean, he's getting up there in age too, I suppose, but he's a very, very capable dramatic actor. Uh, and I think that he has an attitude that he has an air that really you feel for the guy, like in the, the, the roles that he plays, like you feel like you're on his side. Um, the other one is Keanu Reeves, because I think Keanu Reeves, yes, he's an action star, but he's actually a pretty capable emotional actor, too. Um, and I would love to see him have an opportunity to be sort of this conflicted uh, father trying to sort through what the right thing to do is. Um, I think he would bring a lot of believability to the role. What about you? Um, well, I was like, well, we could go with Ted Lasso himself. Jason um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We know, I mean, we, we know he could handle it. He can do the, you know, the, the, that emotional depth and, you know, but be, and be very likable type of thing. But I don't know. I, I guess maybe Kenny, the hard decisions, the, the, the anger. No. Yeah. That's my choice. Okay. That's my choice. Cool. You know. Yeah, it's a good well, we're not going to cast the whole thing here, so no, no. I, but I do think it would be good for it, it. Would I think it would be a cool story? I'd love to see it explored anyway. And I mean, for an off the off the cuff uh, writing prompt, I think we did pretty well. I feel like we're getting better at these. Well, we got to the point a lot quicker, so <laughs> that helps. It's true for sure. I think last time it took us half the episode just to figure out what prompt we're going to do. So yeah. It's much better if we just have one story to work with. So. Right on. Well, thanks. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us today here on The Outer Twilight. Please feel free to subscribe to our podcast anywhere you usually subscribe to your podcast. If you prefer to watch the podcast, you can find us on YouTube on our channel, The Outer Twilight. Have a great day. Have a great day.